Hey, I want to um, thank Pastor John for preaching a great word last week. Would you give it up for Pastor John? I always say it's, it's a great sign of a healthy church when you can have the worship pastor gone, the finance guy gone, the executive pastor, the senior pastor, the discipleship pastor, and like everyone's gone and the church doesn't miss a beat. That's a great sign of a healthy, healthy church. Um, I also said that it, it also kind of scared me a little bit because I was like, man, what if they find out they actually don't need us and we come back and we're all jobless? And um, thankfully, my office was still intact when I got back. Um, but I do want to thank John. Uh, he has gifted us with such an amazing team of ministers uh, at any point in time. You know, I always joke, and, and I'm biased, of course, but I say we have the golden— I don't even like the Golden State Warriors, but I use this as an analogy— um, and to the two Cleveland Brown fans, Tom and Grant, um, <laughs> Cleveland Browns can't even find fans in Cleveland. I don't know how you two guys are fans. I have no clue how you two guys became fans. Um, but but it's just it's it's always just a, a joy to be able to have fun and do these kind of things as a family. Hey, if you have if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to turn to Romans chapter four. And I want us to understand what Paul has been doing. If you're a visitor, we're going to the book of Romans. Um, and what Paul has been doing is really, this is what he does. If you ever notice, when Paul writes these books, he, he pretty much has the same message. You ever recognize that? It's pretty much the same message all through his books. And what Paul is doing this morning is for three chapters, Paul has really began to, he is building a theological home for us. I want you to keep that in mind. Paul is building a theological home for us, a theological framework in which we should live inside of. And what Paul does, as you know, when you build a home, one of the most important things is what? The foundation. So for three chapters, let me tell you what Paul has been doing for three chapters up to this point. He's been laying a theological foundation. Now here's what I mean. Um, He is putting... The foundation, when you lay a foundation, you have to be sure it's all equal, correct? An equal foundation, very flat, very surface, very smooth. And what Paul is doing is he is putting every reader and every listener on a same playing field. The the foundation of oneness is what he's doing. How does he do this? Well, for some, it feels like he's just beating them up. What does he keep saying? He reminds them, hey, um, you're not a good person, you're a sinner, Oh, you over here, you're not a good person. You're a sinner either. You're, you're a sinner too. And then he starts to lift, list off sins, right? Remember that? He lists off all these sins. And you can almost hear the people in the audience who, who don't struggle with that sin. He's like, get them, Paul. They're sinners. Get them. And then Paul, it's like he switches tones in, in chapter 2 where he says, hey, hey, you clapping. You're a sinner too. You hypocrite. And it's like, so, so it's like you, you, if you've been coming the last several weeks for three chapters, like Paul is just beating them down. If they seem like they poke their head up and they have any life, he beats them down again. You ever been to like a carnival when, where you get that hammer and you just bust the heads of the alligators that keep coming up? Paul is just busting heads right now. Wherever there seems to be life, Paul is like, boom, going to be sure you're dead. Oh, oh, you're... You, Boom, you're dead. And so at this point, everyone's kind of really discouraged and beat up. Everyone's like, we, we just, 
We're the Cleveland Browns. We just, we stink. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. But they're just discouraged. They're like, we can't win at anything. We're horrible at this. The Jews are feeling this way, not the Browns. The Jews are feeling this way. But this is exactly what Paul was wanting to do. He was trying to take any residue of self-sufficiency for salvation out of their souls. He wanted everyone to know, hey, doesn't matter what family you were born into. doesn't matter how many great works you've done. doesn't matter how big your bank account is. You cannot save yourself. You are a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. And then here's what he does next in Romans chapter 4. He, he then begins to use an illustration, and he uses two patriarchs of the Jewish faith. One, he uses Abraham, who is the father of Judaism. Why did he use Abraham when speaking to Jews? Well, if you've never read the Bible, it's kind of like this. Um, if you ever go to Chicago and want to talk about basketball, whose name are you going to use? You're not going to use Isaiah Thomas. You're going to use Michael Jordan. Everyone respected him in Chicago. They, they, he has his own statue. They worship the guy, right? He's Mr. Basketball, and he should be, and he is, kids. For those of you who like LeBron James. No, so, so what he was doing to the Jews was, let me speak of someone who they hold in high regard. Let me speak of someone who they made a statue out of. Let me speak, and, and I'm going to say Abraham, because now they all understand Abraham. And Paul's trying to make it clear that no one, I don't care who they are, no one can attain salvation on their own merit. So he uses Abraham. I want you just to listen to the 12 verses of what Paul does here. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So what he is saying is if Abraham begins to boast because he was such a good person, sure, let him boast. But he can't boast in front of God because God's not impressed. Now listen, verse 3. For what does the scripture say? I love it. What is Paul doing? He, he, is, he has an argument here. This is an argument to the Jewish audience. And what does he do? It's something all of us should do when trying to prove our case. He goes back and points to Scripture. You recognize that? He doesn't take some opinion that he saw on Facebook. He, he doesn't take anything else that he's read from extra books or podcasts. He goes straight to the heart of the Word of God the very thing that he knows will pierce down to the soul. The very thing that he knows they hold in high regard and that he knows has power and transformative power. So now he goes to quoting scripture. For what does the scripture say? And he quotes Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 that says this, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, believes in him, who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing, now he's using David. Okay, Abraham, Michael Jordan, David, Scottie Pippen. Okay, we get it? 
Two guys that hold in high regard. He is using this. Now listen, here's what he, he now speaks of David. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom counts righteousness apart from works. Then he quotes Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now listen, this is good stuff. Blessed is the one who the Lord does not count his sin. Verse 9, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Now, remember several weeks ago when I preached, I, I told you how circumcision was a covenant before God. So they saw circumcision as a way into heaven to be protected by God. It's much what we see as infant baptism. You know, some people baptize their child as infants and sprinkle them because they believe now they are covered by God and they can go into heaven. Well, that is not true, by the way. That, that is, I, and if you were sprinkled, I'm not trying to uh, shake up your theology. You're like, well, what do you mean I'm not saved because I got sprinkled? Not, so the reason why sprinkling even came to existence is because it really replaced circumcision. And so this is what he's saying. He's like, okay, now let me ask you this. What if some, what about circumcision and uncircumcision? How does that play into salvation here? So what about sprinkling? What about baptism? So Tom, who just got baptized, this, was, this is just a symbol. This did not save him. Like, like the, the water does not, I, I promise you, if you're like, well, didn't the water save him? Isn't he going to be perfect? Ask his wife, Shelly, in a couple of days. Has he stopped sinning? Has he? Nothing against Tom, but it's the reality. There's nothing magical in that water, I promise you. So that's just a symbol of what God has done in his heart inwardly, okay? And so circumcision, very similar to them. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? So again, they're holding circumcision in very high regard. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. By the way, he was circumcised. Abraham was circumcised about 14 years after he was already considered righteous. Just so you know that. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Does that make sense? So what is, what is Paul doing? He's helping everyone to understand. He's saying, listen, even Abraham, who all you guys hold in high regard, Okay, even him, his works do not get him into heaven. Even him. Why does he have to say this? Well, think about the audience he will be speaking to. In fact, if you look at the Mishnah, Mishnah, which is a bunch of um, uh, rabbi writings and Jewish writings, they believe that Abraham was, was saved because he kept the law before the law was even written. Think about that for a minute. They believe that Abraham kept the law before the law was even written. In fact, the law came 600 years after Abraham. But the Jews believe Abraham never sinned. He kept the law because he had it through intuition and anticipation. He knew the law was coming, therefore he never sinned. This is what some still believe, by the way. 
The patriarchs of the Jewish faith did not sin. They kept the law. And this is what they believe about Abraham. So if you wonder, why does Paul have to make it clear that they're sinners? Well, because a lot of them believe that he wasn't a sinner. A lot of them believe that he kept the law the entire time. So Paul is trying to shatter their theology here. He's trying to shatter their false thinking. Why? Because if they felt like Abraham was saved because of his works, what do you think they would try to do? Work. Let me see you work, 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 work. He would try to work. That was in the commentary that I read. Commentary of Rihanna. Um, and Paul's like, no. I wanna, I'm going to shatter this. I don't want you to work for it. Now, look at, look at what he says. I'm going to use the monitor. It's been a while. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified, he uses this word justified, by works, he has something to boast about, right? If, if it was his works that justified him before God, what does this word justified mean? Think about it this way. This word justified, when you hear the word justified in Scripture, pretend it, it means this, just as if I've never sinned. Just as if I've never sinned. So when he says Abraham was justified, it was as if Abraham had never sinned before God. Okay, I'm going somewhere. But he's saying Abraham was not justified before God because of his works. Now, let me sit on this for a minute. Let me sit on this. Let me tell you why this is so incredibly important. I firmly believe that a lot of Christians know that they were saved by God's grace but they work to keep it. I I, I really believe that that we think sometimes that God loves us based off of how we do in our religious activity. I really really do believe that we think that if if we are batting 24-0 when it comes to sin, that we think that God is more pleased with us than if we were dealing with a bunch of sin. And here is the danger in that. Paul is saying, stop working. Listen, even for the Christians, we don't have to work to keep our salvation. Here's normally what happens, okay? I counsel a lot of people, and I struggle with this personally myself, being transparent. When I am like faithful, and I'm faithful, and I'm faithful to God, and I'm faithful to God, and I'm faithful to God, a little piece of me feels like God owes me. Because when God doesn't come through, I get frustrated. I get frustrated because I feel like my track record has been great. I deserve to get blessed. You won't say it out loud, but it's how we feel. Why am I still single, God? I've been such a good Christian. Why am I single? I've been good. This means God owes me. There's a sense of entitlement there. By the way, the phrase good Christians is an oxymoron. There are no good Christians. There's only one good God. There are forgiven Christians. There's reconciled Christians. There are restored Christians. There are redeemed Christians. There are no good Christians. Only God is good. So, so, but, but, but you have to be careful because 
As a Christian, if you're living and you're being faithful, and by the way, Christians, you should live to please God. But you don't have to live to attain his love. You don't have to work for salvation. You work from salvation. And the danger is this. The danger is that in the works-based legalistic mindset, and here's how you know if you have it, when you sin, if you feel like you are disqualified from any good thing, you ever felt that way? Like, I sinned, I, should, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be a Bible study teacher, I shouldn't do all the, I shouldn't be a greeter, I shouldn't, I, should, I sin, I'm horrible, give me what's due to me. That is a works-based mentality. You think, I sin, therefore I'm disqualified. To some degree, maybe. But that's a work-based mentality. It is God who has signed you up, it is God who has placed his son on the cross to pay for your failures. So you don't have to keep putting yourself back on the cross once you fail. It's already been done. But this, I mean, why would we not think like this? Think about it. We, from the moment we enter kindergarten, we have to perform. All throughout school we get grades, and, and we should get graded. Then, you're, then there's sports, and you got to perform. Then you start getting older. Then, then in middle school, you start kind of, I got to dress a certain way to look cool so, I, so that I'm accepted and people like me, right? I got to do certain things so they like me. And then you get into to college, and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, now I got I to make some friends. I got to keep my grades up. I gotta, and there's, there's more performance-driven, more performance-driven, more performance-driven. And then you get a career. And you get a career, and you're like, I, I got to perform. I got to be sure. I don't want to get fired. I got to need this check. And, and so we spend all of our lives perform, 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 perform. The better you perform, perform the more you're valued, right? Let's just be honest. It's the same way for us up here on stage for, for ministers. I have to be very careful that I'm, on the, I'm not up here trying to perform for you because if I don't perform well, you'll go to another church where they do perform well i got to fight against that mentality because it's the reality we live in. Perform, 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 perform. Perform, 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 perform. And then God's saying, hey, stop performing. You're like, what? How do I not? That's all all I know how to do, God. I have sinned to be accepted, God. How how do I divorce performance and, and not performing and just letting God love me? How do I do that? I think Christians have an unbelievably hard time doing this. If you're caught in a sin cycle, you'll say, well, I'm not going to go to church because I'm just not ready to go to church. I'm caught in sin. Oh, no, you're perfect. Come on in. Because everyone around you has their own little different sins. We just hide it it differently. Some put more makeup on it than others. (laughs) Is it not the truth? So... So what he is saying is he is knocking down this works-based whole theology. You know what terrifies me? And I see it in Christians. I wrestle it myself. I'm talking about works-based theology. I get, to, I get to travel around every once in a while and speak. And that stuff does nothing for me. It's fun. It's an honor. But I, don't, I really don't care. It doesn't do anything for my ego but what has been breaking my heart lately is, is it's interesting. And I think, what, what, what happened? And I'm like disgusted by this. Um, I'll come across other Christians who may be other speakers. And there's this strong sense of entitlement and arrogance and pride. 
I'm so disgusted and repelled by it. Like, why, why are they like that? Like, it's like they started their relationship with Christ wanting to serve people. And now somewhere along their walk, they become so entitled that they want to be served. And then I saw that and I just thought, God, please protect my heart. May I start my Christian life by being a servant and may I end it by being a servant, not wanting to be served. And I don't know what happens to the heart of man or woman, but we're very prone to becoming self-sufficient and arrogant and we get drunk off our own giftings. Like if we're not careful, we become impressed with the gifts that God has given us. Not recognizing that just as quick as he gave it to us, he can take it away. And sometimes the best thing I think for us is that he does take it away to save you from yourself. Like it's, and I know, I, I, know, I know that's hard to hear. But how dare us think that our works had anything to do with it? And Paul's like stripping them of any self-sufficient confidence here. And look at, look at what he says next. He uses this word justified just as he's never sinned. Then he says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him. This term is actually a mathematical term that can also be credited. When you look up this term, listen to this. This is great. That's why the Greek is so great when you study the original language. When you look up the term counted, now, remember, Abraham is justified before God just as if he had never sinned, right? Why does snow? How did he get that way? Because we know he was a sinner. Remember, he was the one who, who slept with the maidservant, so this sucker ain't clean. He's dirty too. Then he had, a, he had a kid that he wasn't supposed to have. But yet God is saying he, he is considered justified and righteous. How does that happen? And it says because he believed. And it was credit to him. This word credit, I love it. It means literally that it was placed into his account. Now think about that for a minute. It means that when Abraham believed in God, that righteousness was imputed into his account, his spiritual account. He was broke before this. He was spiritually in debt before this. Do you understand what I'm saying? He had all kinds of Fees accumulating from the bank because he had no spiritual finances. He had nothing. He was dead. Then God, because he believed, imputed righteousness into his account. What for? Well, so that on the day of judgment, who withdraws the account? The owner. Who withdraws the account? The owner. So what happened was righteousness was imputed and credited to him. So on the day of judgment, when he stands before the Father, it's already been put into his credit so that he can be justified and righteous before God. See, here is the, here is the thing that I think when I think about how people become so arrogant in their Christian walk because they've read some books or they listen to a certain pastor and then their arrogance begins to seep in. Here's why I think this happens. Because they begin to think that they own their own account and whatever's in their account, they had something to do with. You had nothing to do with what God put into your account. You have to understand that. 
You, you got to understand that. Otherwise, you walk in arrogance. Let me take you back for a minute. Do you guys remember before you were saved? Now let's, let's, uh, let's think about this for, because, because we, need, we, we need to break ourselves of self-sufficiency here. We must live with the heart of gratitude for what he has done. You can't forget what he's done. I mean, I mean do you remember some of you were suicidal? Some of you, you wanted to get divorced and you wanted to try a new spouse because this one wasn't working. I mean, some of you, you were just thinking, I've tried church, I've tried everything, I don't even like my own kids, I can't stand myself, I don't care anymore. You were hopeless, you were lost, you tried everything else but God. You were spiritually, not even broke, what Ephesians says, you were spiritually dead. You, you must understand, you had a full ride straight to hell, room and board paid for, and your books. Like, that, that's where everyone in this room, this is what Paul's trying to do. Like, I'm, I'm going to beat you down here so you understand you had nothing to do with this. And somewhere along the lines, on your little road to Damascus, when you're in the middle of your sin, and you're pursuing this sinful life, and you're running from God, somewhere in his great majesty, in his great destiny, in his great sovereignty, he met you on the road to Damascus in the middle of your sin and stopped you and said, why, 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 why are you doing this? Why are you living this way? Stop it, stop it, stop it. And it broke you down. And then you were in that moment, you were so grateful. It's like, you know, it's like the middle school boy who's not that great looking, but the hottest girl in school once said, I don't know why, but I love it. This is what it was like. That's what it was like in that moment. Like, God, I don't know why you love me, but thank you, Father. Thank you. I don't know why you want me, but thank you. I don't know why you forgive me, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then all of a sudden, we get self-sufficient because we've read some passages and read some commentaries, and the thank yous don't get so often. The thank yous get very seldom. Because now you think you hold the salvation in the palms of your hand. Now you think you have something to do with it. You have nothing to do with it. And don't you ever forget that. Nothing. Nothing. It was, only, it was only the credit that he put into our broke bank account that gives us hope. By the way, look at the two guys he uses in this passage. The scripture says that God justifies the ungodly. Let's think about that for a second. If you're in this room and you're feeling a bit ungodly because you're missing the mark and you kept sinning, you're the perfect candidate that he's talking about. Because he said, God justifies you, the ungodly. Then look at who he uses, Abraham, the ungodly. David, my goodness. We call David a man who was after God's own heart. He was an adulterer who cheated on his wife. An adulterer, an adulterer, an adulterer. Then he was a murderer. A murder. And you meditate on the stuff he wrote. You meditate on this stuff. Do you believe to this day God can still use an adulterer and a murder? Would you read their stuff if they wrote it? Do we believe that God has this kind of power to, to still do what he did in scriptures? To take the dead life and make it useful? This is who he is. This is what he does. 
And this is, this is what Paul is like. Paul is desperate. He's like, please. He's speaking to Jews who are a bit arrogant, right? He's like, please, please, please. Understand, God is so good, and the only way you're going to get saved is not by your works. The only way you're going to get saved is by believing in God who gave his son to die on the cross, who sanctifies you, who saves you, who sustains you. Several weeks ago, I asked if I can share the story. This guy said, yes. You talk about being spiritually broke. This, this man came to our campus. He was literally physically broke. He and his wife were homeless, had nothing, and spiritually broke. He came on our campus, and um, very long story short, it's about two months ago, he gave his life to Christ. He came and recognized that he, he needed Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. And then right after, he's like, I'm all in for Jesus. What else? We're like, well, Scripture says once you have given your life to Christ, you've got to be baptized. It doesn't save you, but we believe it should be, you should be baptized out of obedience. Let's do it. What else do I do? So he was baptized. And, and here he is. Literally, he had just stuff in, in a, enough to fit in the car. That's all they had. One of our staff members said, hey, why don't you come live with me? That's all his stuff that you see. That's all he had, he and his wife, that's it. So our staff member said, why don't you come live with me until we find a place for you um, to, to live so we can walk with you and we can help you. And, and that's, that's, there you go, Ted and Bridget, that's he and his wife. So then Ted, Ted says, hey, I want to serve the church. I want to start a Bible study. What do I do? He, like, this guy's on fire. And Ted doesn't have a job, but he's saying, hey, I appreciate you letting me stay in your house, but I got to get a job. I got to do this myself. So he starts going to company, walking to company to company. I'm not joking. Starts knocking on all the company's doors. Hey, you guys hiring? No. He goes on to the next one. You guys hiring? No. Goes on to the next one. And then he got a job. He got a job working. There's another one you'll see. He has his heart. He works at a still place. Has a hard hat on. There you go. There's Ted. And so now you have, there he is. There he is. Thank you, Ted. And I, I love it because he just, you're around him like the guy hadn't lost the joy. Uh, you know how you're around some Christians like, I'm not even sure you're saved. You know I mean? <laughs> like, you know, the bank account pastor talked about, I don't think you have anything in yours. You want to recheck that thing? Like, take out your app and recheck it. But, but he's around him and he has this, this fire of gratitude because he fully understands God did this. God did this. So, listen, Christians, I, I beg you and I, and I plea with you this morning, don't forget God did this in your life. God did this in your life. Don't ever forget God did this. I didn't get as far as I wanted to go today. But what, what Paul is, is doing here, man, he's, he's building on top of the foundation that he's already, already laid so that we can live in this theological home to understand that, man, if it wasn't for Christ, if it wasn't for God, and here's the great news is he's still doing this today. That's a sign from God that he's still working. Let's pray together.
listen to the Christian. Will you just close your eyes and bow your eyes? I just want to speak to you for a minute. Listen, will you just confess to the Christian that if there's any self-sufficiency in you and you've forgotten how good God has been to you, will you just confess those things to him? Just confess. And to the ones that are here this morning, just give me a couple of minutes before we start leaving. We're a little early, so just a couple of minutes. Listen, if you're here this morning, and you've never given your life to Jesus. Like this, what I just read is great news. Some of you are thinking, let me go clean myself up first. Well, I'm too dirty or I'm not good enough. This is what Paul is talking about. It's not based off what you've done. It's based off what he's done. And if you're here this morning, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You say, now, but I want to. Listen, will you just raise your hand this morning and say, I surrender. I surrender this morning. I never have what I want to. Will you just raise your hand and say, I surrender this morning. I surrender all that I am. I surrender all that I am. Amen in the balcony. I see you up there, brother. I see you. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Our pastors will be up at the front. Listen, if you are here, and you want to give your life to Christ or you need prayer or maybe you want to get baptized, would you come pray with the pastor?